You're listening to Culture Matters, a podcast of the Village Church. This is Adam Griffin, and I'm here with my co-host, the Adam Hawkins. Adam, how you doing, buddy? Yeah, feeling good. Good. You know, we're talking about sin today. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you yet conquered sin, or is this still a struggle for you? Because aren't you a pastor? You know, um, <laughs> I, I got there. Okay, good, man. <laughs> Today's going to be about how Adam oh, finally found victory over every struggle. Also, in studio with us today, and also no longer struggling with sin, except in some ways, wow. David Roark. David, Not true. how's your idolatry of the Mavericks going? Still a struggle. Confess it. Still a struggle. Okay, put it to death. (laughs) Maybe get into the NFL. And also, we have again with us, what a delight, Elizabeth Woodson. Elizabeth, how are you? I'm doing well. Good. Anything dark, personal that you'd like to share as we start? I mean, hey, yeah, let's just jump into that. Okay, good. (laughs) On this episode, we're going to continue our series, which will focus on a theology of culture. And today, we'll be looking specifically at the fall and the reality of sin and evil. So this is going to be a great episode. Here we go. All right, again, we're jumping back into our series on theology and culture, which we'll do here and throughout the year. And the episode today is on the fall. So instead of starting like we usually do with a cultural topic and then swinging into that with scripture and swinging into that with what Christians should think about it, we're going to start with the doctrine and swing that over to culture. So with us again, like I said, is Elizabeth. Elizabeth is a Bible teacher. She serves as a minister here at the Village Church Institute coming up on her one-year anniversary. Yes. Mm. Okay, let's jump right into the topic today. We talked about creation in in an earlier episode. This one, we're going to talk about the fall, which to me makes logical sense that this would be the next topic we'll talk about. But what scriptures help us understand the doctrine of sin and the fall? So when I say, if you wanted to communicate to somebody, maybe that's brand new to Christianity, about the doctrine of sin. Adam, somebody comes up to you at the end of a service at Plano and says, hey, you guys talk about sin. Where are you getting this from? Where would you take them to in the word of God? Probably the fall. The fall. (laughs) Where would you? (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Anybody else have? (laughs) So you take all you'll. That's all you'll do. (laughs) So you would take them right to Genesis and say, "Look, look at Eve. Look at Adam. This is why you are the way you are." Uh, I think that's part of it. I, I don't know that you can understand. You know, look. Um, I think one of the most beautiful things about the Bible is how it all hangs together. And the reality is, I don't know that you can understand sin without understanding the doctrine of creation. We were created to image our creator, God. Uh, and then um, our sort of representative, our the first Adam uh, falls. And our issue is that then we start to image him, right? There is, a, uh, there is an idea of original sin. Uh, there is an idea of sin and living in a fallen world. Uh, so I don't know know how you can understand suffering. I don't know how you can understand um, our own sort of moral shortcomings and the moral shortcomings of others that have been yes. committed against us without going to the fall, which is in Genesis, right? Good. Uh, Genesis 3. So, But in talking about Genesis 3 and in what you're just talking about, because we use sin kind of broadly, it can be a term we use for both actions you take in disobedience to God, yeah. but also why there is disease in the world. And also why creation suffers, similar to what you're talking about. How would you make a distinction for me there? What's the difference between sin, I I don't like my brother, or I hate my brother, or sin like um, uh, 
nat- uh, d- natural disasters. Um, yeah. So without I, maybe without getting too into it all, uh, I just think I actually think understanding sin is a state of uh, as a um, maybe maybe a state a of the heart. A state yeah, of the I was going to say as a way of being. I don't know. <laughs> um, it, it is is it, it is a reality. It is a state of the heart, and it is a state in of the world in which we live. Maybe makes it easier because then what comes out of that reality, our actions, I think being described as sinful as a product of that world in which we live a state of the heart that we have i think maybe that's a bit more helpful um in other words um in other words if your heart is uh diseased and sick with sin then what comes out of it our actions will be sinful yeah um so I don't know. Maybe that's helpful. No, maybe is, that was it, a little. It, too I think much. that leads us a little bit into some yeah. other things. But before we move on, David, Elizabeth, what scriptures come to mind for you guys when you think about sin, Elizabeth? You know, I think. I mean, you've got the um, like Adam said, the Genesis three um, about the fall. You have Romans. <laughs> I feel like most of the beginning of yep. Romans takes us through. <laughs> I think all the verses, all the things, <laughs> all. <of them. laughs> you know, but I think this idea that sin is universal. Mm. Um, so it's not that this I, this false reality that I can be. I'm a good person, good or bad person, but sin is, a, like you said, a state of being. Yeah. It is a corruption of my heart that I can't get away from outside of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And yeah. so Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, to me, encapsulates that. Yeah. Absolutely. That's one of the first ones that pops into my mind. David, how about you, buddy? Well, I was pulling my notes back up, but uh, I think, yeah, Romans is just full <laughs> of, of verses that I feel like kind of support, you know, Genesis 3 in the fall. They, they, they provide commentary on Genesis 3 is, would maybe be one way um, to think about it. But Romans one twenty five, which is just after that, you know, talks about because they exchanged the truth about mm-hmm. God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So and so... That um, Adam was talking about, you know, when sin comes into the world, um, we our tendency and our default becomes to worship, you know, um, Adam in a sense, but also just creation. So it it disorders in the create. When we were talking about creation on the previous episode about culture and theology, we talked about this rightly ordered relationship between creator and creation. So sin, as we see in this verse, just it disorders that. So yeah. now we, we've kind of just flipped things for where now we're first and foremost worshiping creation than the creator. And so that you can kind of just see the effects of that in this particular verse and, and actually start to see how it shapes the way we think about culture too. There are several verses that come to mind for me when it comes to sin. A lot of, I thought of the Romans verses, you think of Genesis. I always think of, I think a lot of the epistles to the New Testament that talk about how you handle sin, how you deal with sin, how you battle sin, how you confess sin. I think of James talking about confessing your sin to one another. I talk about uh, in First John, it talks about how you will be forgiven of your sins. And so there is, I did want to make that distinction there because there is a sin and a brokenness that is ongoing in a reality until God makes all things new which he is already beginning to do. But there is a, uh, a war against sin that we battle in right now that I think is important to express to anybody. There is um, this kind of uh, balance right now in our reality where there is victory in sin that we get to see in people's lives. Just because they are caught up in a sin does not mean they always have to be. 
there can be freedom from that even in this life, although there is also sins that we might struggle with our entire lives. And I think of the verse, uh, not necessarily the, the thorn in the flesh for Paul was sin, but it is certainly brokenness and suffering. And Christ's answer to Paul when he says, I just want to be done with this, is my grace is sufficient for you. So I think of that, I think of how sin the best picture I have for sin is how bright it makes grace, that sin is very, very serious and mm-hmm. sin should be taken very seriously, but it will never outpace grace. Mm-hmm. Grace will always be greater. And so if somebody were coming to me and asking me to tell them about the doctrine of sin, it would be hard to express just how dark it is without also giving them the hope of grace. That's right. And similarly, if somebody asked to expound on the doctrine of grace, you couldn't really understand how great grace is until you understand just how deep the roots of sin go, both Mm. in every human heart, but in how they affect all of our realities. And so I I think that wasn't really a lot of particular scriptures, but I kind of jumped around a little bit there to point out some different scriptural ideas. So what conclusions do we draw then about sin and evil? We certainly in this room believe that sin and evil are realities, although there are arguments in our culture that evil is not real because evil implies a divine morality to some people. And we do believe in a divine morality. So what conclusions can we draw about sin and evil from these passages that we just brought up? And how does that relate to our understanding of our culture? So understanding what sin is, it's brokenness of everything. It's brokenness of every human heart and it's actions we would take in disobedience to God. What conclusions do we draw about what the scripture says about sin? What's helpful from that? Elizabeth? You know, I think this idea that we have missed the mark of what God intended for us to be. um, You know, I think if we pull from the previous episode about the doctrine of creation, that we're called to live in community with God and that we have kind of given that up to be God ourselves, yes. And so that we are going to create things that are self-serving because we're living in, um, we are looking for ourselves and not for the interests of others. Um, doctrine of creation, who God is, has us pouring out this generous overflowing love for the flourishing of creation and humanity. But with sin, that goes to the wayside and we're concerned about our own flourishing in a self-serving and self Yes. It's good. Self-serving manner. Yeah, I think yeah. of the Genesis verses we just talked through and how much they relate exactly what you're talking about, that it starts with an autonomy, a desire for autonomy from God, that I could do this without mm-hmm. him, or I could be like him and not need him anymore. That leads right into, and all these original struggles are still with us. It leads right into ideas of blame. Well, it's not my fault. It's this person's fault. Ideas of shame, saying I need to cover up what's been broken. And uh, competition in Cain and Abel even saying like, I want to look at what other people have and what I have. In comparison, it gives me a jealousy and a covetousness. And even before there is a written law, there is a law that God has given that is broken. And there is uh, shame and blame as a result that shows us our need for a savior from Genesis when they cover themselves with leaves and then God covers them with the skin of an animal. You already see the picture that death will pay that price for that sin. And uh, culturally, we see um, the idea of penance, that something must be done Mm -hmm. because somebody has messed up, both uh, the idea of justice, which is Mm -hmm. so huge. We're talking about criminal justice, social justice, the idea of uh, some recompense or penance uh, is drawn from these scriptures as well, that because there has been broken relationship, because something has been broken, something must be done either as punishment or to pay the price for what's been broken. What else comes to mind for you guys from the scriptures? We talked a little bit about, you know, creating culture and how sin distorts that. And, you know, you start to create for yourself. Um, you start to create out of selfish motives. But I, I think that it also affects the way that we consume culture 
as well. So, um, which is a big part of how we were created. So if we're creating culture for other people, obviously sometimes we are those people and we consume things like entertainment and art and food and, um, and it, it definitely affects the way that we consume those because we start to, if you go back to that Romans 1 passage, we start to look for ultimate meaning and ultimate glory and worship in those things. And we start to, we elevate those to the role of the creator. And so our consumption looks like gluttony. You know, we think about mm-hmm. gluttony a lot as something just related to food, which this would be a really great example of that with food. But I think about next Netflix binges, you know, like, like, why do we do that? You know, and what is the motivation behind that? Sometimes it's just because it's a really good show and you want to watch it. But I think it, it creates something in us that wants to put culture in a place it was never supposed mm-hmm. to be, where it was really just intended for us to enjoy, but then to ultimately give mm-hmm. glory to God for. But yes. um, it, it kind of, uh, it ends on the thing itself because of evil and sin. Yeah, and doesn't the doctrine of sin lend itself to, and we talk about this on the show all the time, we can take something, humanity can take something that's amoral, has no evil inherent to it, and we can twist it, no matter what it is. Mm-hmm. If it's new ways of communicating, then we find ways to communicate with those we shouldn't. If it's new ways of recording film, then we produce films that entice uh, parts of our heart and our desires that they shouldn't. And we find in everything a way to twist it to get back to what you talked about, the autonomy from God. That's it. The, the, the feeding of my selfish and lustful desires, mm. which gluttony, the, I'm not just talking about sexual lust. I'm talking about every lust that says, I want to serve for my own needs, something that was not created in order to be my satisfaction. Yeah. What I, are you going to say, Adam? No, I'm just riffing on that um, idea. And I think Elizabeth said it earlier, is just, you know, the con- one of the conclusions we can draw about sin and evil from the doctrine is its ubiquity. I mean, the the, the idea that it's everywhere and yes. inescapable. Yeah. And I think what's so sad, and this goes to what David was saying, is and, and to what you were saying, is that um, so often what we see, especially in our creating of culture and in our consumption, is the... Uh, that um, godless thought that it will save us or justify our existence, mm-hmm. right? And so you see this all the time in, um, um, like I said, in how you consume it and in how you create it, but in artists who talk about their work and their idea of their work saving them. Uh, you know, you see it in... Um, um, I'm thinking of sports figures who, you know, uh, uh, sort of reach the pinnacle, right? Yeah. Uh, and still there's the emptiness there. So that that idea yes. that so often in, in culture creation, what people are really after is justification for their existence. And yeah. so often in our consumption of culture, what you have is um, a desire to satiate the pain. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it leads to that disordered desires. It leads yes. to disordered creating, disordered thinking, all of it. And meaning sin leads to those things. Yeah. Right? That so. part about sports made me think about, um, there was an interview with Michael Jordan. I want to say it was like five or six years ago, but the guy got r- very real with Sports Illustrated. I believe that's who did the interview and basically just admitted that he's a miserable, depressed person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and wow. like, this is the greatest basketball, p- potentially the greatest basketball player of all time. You know, there's the Braun MJ debate, but um <laughs> He is potentially the the greatest basketball player in the world and still is acclaimed at that. But because he can no longer do the thing that made him who he was because he found his identity in that and everything sort of uh, 
that was the pinnacle, right? And so yeah. therefore he's left with nothing now. And so yeah. it's just, I mean, your particular yeah. bringing up sports made me yeah, think there's about that, that famous interview with Tom Brady where he said, yeah. he's, you know, he's married to the supermodel, he's got kids, he's won the Super Bowl a handful of times, and he's going, if this is it, is this all there is? And while he would not turn to Christ, we would say, no, that's not all there is. And we would say, yeah, there's much more to life. Elizabeth, let me ask you a question. If somebody came up to you at the end of Bible study and they said, um, I understand sin. I also understand victory in Christ. Why, if we have victory in Christ, do I continue to struggle with sin? And will I always, what would you say to them? Why do I continue to struggle? I mean, I think it's this idea that we have this natural leaning towards wanting to desire life for ourselves, and, and it is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's the power of God that has to continually pull us back. Left to our own devices, we will always choose that. Yes. And that's just the way sin works. And so I think it is this constant struggle because if we're not leaning into who we are in Christ, then we're leaning to who we are outside of him. Good. And so we will overcome the more we lean into what it means to walk in the likeness of who Christ is. Yeah. And so it's it's that tension. Yeah. Um, when I walk in who I've created to be, then I'm walking in likeness. I'm walking in holiness. And when I'm not, I'm going to walk in the ways of the world that are grounded in autonomy for myself. I think what you just pointed out is really interesting because there is a cultural idea that believes evil and good are balanced and are equally balanced in this world and they fight each other. And it's even made its way into a Christian uh, cultural theology that says, oh, the devil runs hell and God runs heaven. And there's this constant battle between them, which is not our theology. Our theology is not hell was created for the devil to rule. It's created for the devil to suffer and that he has already lost in Christ, that evil is not going to balance good. And there's not uh, kind of a karma system that says is everything's going to balance out. If you did bad, then you receive bad. If you did good, then you receive good. Our doctrine of sin says everybody's broken. Everyone desperately needs Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ has come and provided victory in his, in his death and resurrection for all those who would believe in his name and repent. And so it's not a uh, an ongoing battle that we don't know who's going to win. It is already won in Christ. Yep. But I, I just want to say that because that's important to understand in the doctrine of sin. We're not talking about evil as, as it is this equal opposition to God. But that is often in our culture the way evil is expressed because it creates good story to have that ongoing battle. Evil can also be an aspect of, of suffering. Evil can be an aspect of ongoing sin and struggle. But when we think about, since this show is about culture, when you think about culture theologically, why do we have to hold these kind of uh, two, not opposing, but complementary viewpoints of understanding the doctrine of creation, God making all things good and for his purposes, next to the doctrine of sin and the fall? Why do you hold those two side by side? Why is it important to understand both aspects of sin and of creation? David, what do you think? Yeah, I think that if you have a healthy view of the doctrine of creation, it has to be held next to this doctrine of sin because... Um, there will be um, a naivety to just mm. the way that sin is engulfed and embodied in all of culture. And I think that people, you see, you, there are usually two sides. It, it, I, it stinks that it's this way, but I feel like, you know, finding balanced people, especially politically and things like that is, is very difficult. People tend to go one way or the other. The Christians want to go completely toward the fall and sort of neglect the inherent goodness of culture. Mm. And you see that fearfulness of culture that we talked about previously, but then you have the people who want to just fully embrace culture. And I think that what happens there is you start to um, consume culture 
not aware of the way that it's shaping and forming you because we know that cultural uh, culture is very formative, you know, and there's a story behind every movie, behind yes. every TV show. There's an agenda, whether and a that, worldview behind yeah, a worldview. Yeah. There's an agenda, whether that agenda is purposeful or not, you know, um, it's still there. It's still present. And those things are shaping you in ways that we don't even realize. So I think that you, you just have to have both. And that allows you some freedom to use discernment on what is healthy and what is good and what is beneficial. Um, yeah. So that, that's the way that I start to see those two things work together. No, I think it's a great point. And we do live in a culture where um, sin is saying somebody did something wrong a lot of times. And it's hard in our culture to point out you shouldn't do that. Although we do have, uh, there are things that we at all, like the culture agrees, imbalance of power. Our culture is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You should not have somebody strong picking on somebody where it's bullying or abuse. They would all point out to that and say, that's wrong. But there are a lot of things in our culture that people want the freedom and license to do that God would call wrong. And if you understand the purpose in creation is not uh, to create laws that inhibit your human freedom, but to create the ultimate human flourishing and that sin is the brokenness uh, next to and alongside that. And you're right. Every story has that, has uh, an aspect of that picture. We hold that creation and that uh, sin side by side. So we see this we see the fall and sin at work in culture today throughout history. What are some cultural artifacts? What are some, what's music? What's film? What's sports? What's politics? Where do you see this doctrine playing out when it comes to the doctrine of evil, the doctrine of sin? How do you see it expressed, communicated, and artfully portrayed in our culture? You know, I think um, when we think about the idea that that because of sin, the way we create is to fuel our own passions and lusts and desires. Mm-hmm. Um, one clear one I think about is pornography in our culture, yeah, and how that has also um, affected human trafficking. Yeah, and so we've created something to fulfill our own human lust and desire, but it also results in destruction for other members of our humanity. Yeah, um, and just how that's just become pervasive, and how technology has created all different pathways for those things. But again, it's rooted in in self. Yeah, that makes me that thing makes me think about if culture if in the cultural mandate we're supposed to humanize and increase mm-hmm. human flourishing when yeah. we see sin enter the picture there's always a dehumanization yeah. like yeah. it's that always happens an whether exploitation yeah an exploitation yeah. dehumanization of us or someone else right maybe yeah. both I was going to point that out I think um pornography is one but I just think the objectification of women and men mm-hmm. um as it you know Honestly, I'm going to say this, it's probably offensive, but I think of advertising as like the anti-gospel most mm-hmm. of the time because in, in, and I know there's people who work in advertising and they're good people and not everybody's trying to do this, but they're writing an alternative story saying you need this to be happy. Yeah. You need this to be yeah. fulfilled. You need these things. And so often what they do is they turn people and they turn uh, into objects. Consumers. They turn them into consumers. Yeah. Uh, they commodify everything. And um, it's... And so, especially in advertising, you see gluttony and sex and Mm -hmm. false stories everywhere, everywhere. This will make you happy. You need this. I always think of this fascinating study they did after the... Soviet Union fell. You had all these American companies trying to make their way into the market over there. Yeah. And uh, 
they were trying to sell all these goods, but people had no idea they needed them. And so it was this really <laughs> interesting thing where like Pine Sol and all this stuff where they're like, this is this thing. This is how you use it. I mean, they didn't even know how to use it. This is Here's a product. This is how you use it. And if you don't, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's just this weird like story of like salvation mm-hmm. in a sense yeah. within advertising. So I don't know. I could go on No, about I think that, that relates but. a lot to what we talked about in our episode on addiction where Jordan talked about in that episode how the root of a lot of addiction started with a discontentedness. Mm. And what advertising does that you're describing is creates a, a vacuum, creates a discontentedness that says, if you get this, you need this, it will make your life better, mm-hmm. which is a lie outside of Jesus Christ. Right now, there are things that make us happy. There are things that bring us joy. It can feel like in victory or in getting something, uh, we can find joy, but it's always a picture of what is ultimately true and only true in Jesus Christ and his victory and what we get from him. There is uh, a lot of what our culture has created is escapism, mm-hmm. where because because sin has broken so much in our own hearts and in the world around us, we go to culture to escape, whether it's to scroll the internet endlessly, to read news or blogs or books or to watch movies or music. We create ways to literally entertain, which is a passive way of, of finding joy. Entertainment means somebody else is doing something that, that delights me, which is fine. Entertainment for entertainment's sake to a degree is fine. But when we turn to our culture to escape the reality that we live in, we ignore the mission that Christ has put us on, which is to go and make disciples of all nations, mm. not to waste days away in, in mindless mm. entertainment. And our culture, because we will consume ways to escape, will gladly sell us ways to escape. Mm. Be that drugs, be that movies, be that uh, TV, be that whatever it might be. We will sell ways to escape because this world is broken. So there's a power that comes in acknowledging the brokenness of the world. And then as pastors, ministers of the gospels, gospel speaking into that, the truth that God is the satisfaction you are looking for. Yeah. One of the things I think about just to try to make this really practical, maybe for someone sort of the everyday Christian listening, I would imagine a lot of people are in business and selling a product. And I think that you can see the way that sin enters into a business because it um, you're selling a product maybe that is helpful to other people, but then you can easily see how greed and a desire for power and um, identity and things like that are found in that process. And that starts to create maybe a bigger demands that then creates an exploitation of workers and a mistreatment of people. And so I think that one way everyone can start to think about this is to think about what you do, what you do at work, examine what's inherently good about the product or whatever you're selling or whatever it is that you're creating and, and, and recognize that how it can increase human flourishing, but then, then do a reflection on the way that sin can really easily get into that. And even into you, and you may have bought into something that you don't even realize is sinful. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that examining that, and then you have an opportunity to, to revert back to that creation mandate and say, you know what, um, I'm going to, I'm going to do this in a rightly ordered way that brings glory to God and that is generous and serves other people. And it it may not mean that you need to leave your job. You may need to keep your job, but maybe you can be a light in that darkness or something like that. Or it it could mean that if, if the, if the work is so exploitive, if it's so dark and sinful, maybe that would be a sign that that's not the the kind of work that you need to be doing.
doing. I, I think that's kind of for everyone to to figure out on their own. But that's good. Yeah, I do think our culture is rarely altruistic, right? Yeah, business is rarely altruistic. They're not trying to necessarily do what's best. They're doing what's best for the business. And even uh, what we talked about in the toxic masculinity uh, episode about Gillette, they're still trying to sell their product, even though they're making a commercial to try to make a social point. They're still at the end of the day trying to sell you razors. And uh, our culture is rarely saying this is for the betterment of mankind in every way if it's not also self-serving. And we've also created in every way a way to compete with one another. Uh, who was it that talked about you know, people don't want wealth. They want comparative wealth. They want to have more than the next person. It's, it's you don't find joy in having. You enjoy in having more. Mm. And so that is a reality that sin takes in our culture where we paint a picture. Even uh, our country has at its inception the pursuit of happiness, what they call it the American dream. And it's the um, opportunity that we give freedom to go and find what makes you happy. Mm. And we lie to each other about what will actually bring joy, that what will bring joy is having the right career, the right romantic relationship. And if we could just, uh, I talk to people all the time about this, if we could just have the right romantic relationship, we believe things would be so much better. And, if, and, and once we're in a romantic relationship, we just believe if it, was, if it was fixed, then my life would be so much better. If I could just have the right product, then my life would be better. If I just afford it, if I just had the next job. And the truth is that all of those in the end will leave us uh, empty, lacking, because all of them fall short of what we can only be satisfied in God. If there's anything you heard on the show that you'd like to know more about, you can find details on our website. Today's episode was produced by David Roark and edited and mixed by Chris Starrett. See you next time. God bless. Thank you for listening. <laughs>